think I'm on. All buttons are glowing. I'm blue. I'm green. I'm every color of the rainbow, I guess. So anyway, it is great to be with you. We're on. We got it. He's got me back there. He's going to make me sound good. Can't make me look good, but he can make me sound good. So anyway, so appreciate that word, Ryan. Today I'm talking about the grace-empowered life. So I guess your word fits in with what the Holy Spirit has led me to share this morning. We had a great weekend up in Bellingham. We had a prophetic day yesterday. Pastor Price came up last night. And sometimes we do a worship night and just let God do whatever. That's always wonderful. Pastor Tim has joined us a few times on that. Talking about the grace-empowered life, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. And first of all, this book is called Revelation, which simply means what was hidden is not hidden anymore. The word apocalypse is actually a very cheerful, wonderful word that's been translated wrongly. It's been translated to mean doom, gloom, horrendous, tyrannical disaster. Matter of fact, when a storm becomes something that tears everything apart, they say it's apocalyptic which is foolishness, it means it's revelational. The book is about a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation from Jesus. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And in the very first verses, I'm not speaking on this, but to get to the verse I'm going to talk about, I have to say this. This is the verse 1. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And that word shortly means like shortly. It doesn't mean... Well, in the Bible, shortly can mean thousands of years. No, it doesn't. It always means shortly. It means like right now. So it's not concerning things that weren't a revelation in the day of John. They were things that were concerning a revelation in the place that is, the place that was, and the place that will be. Okay? And he sent and he signified. That little word signified is, is a huge key because it's an unused word. Some of your translations may say he sent and he communicated. But it's not communicated. He communicated in a specific way. He signified. He, he, he did signs. Like when you have a dream. When you have a prophetic dream, the dream is not necessarily about what you think it's about. It's about what's signified in the dream. And when God signifies something, it's not the object. It's the essence of the object. So like you might dream about people in your dream that you haven't thought about in years. It's probably not about those people. It's probably about what did those people represent in your life at some point. Do they represent pain? Do they represent healing? Do they represent love? Do they represent hate? Do they represent disappointment? Do they represent encouragement? And God is wanting to speak to you about the essence of what they represent more than the actual person or the actual object. And so... This is John simply saying what you could not understand about Jesus Christ before can now be understood, can now be seen. It's no longer hidden. Now, in the original writing of Scripture, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, there are no chapters and there are no verses. It wasn't added until the 1200s was verses and chapters added. I'm just going to point blank tell you, as I've told you before, there's absolutely nothing spiritual about chapters and verse numbers. Nothing. It was added to help you find things. It's wonderful to locate things, but it wrecks the story very often because it puts you in the verse, and then you pull verses out to use as weapons to judge others or to judge yourself. You take rocks out of the story of the rock, and you use it to throw and produce death to people when you take scriptures out of context. You can take things like hate your father and your mother. Is that what Jesus said? No. He was saying love God that much. And he was saying the one that you honor the most is your father and your mother. But God is a greater father and he's a greater mother. So love him to the degree it's hate your father and your mother. He's not telling you to hate your father and your mother. So it's sent and signified. So it's in signs. Okay. And then it says, blessed, in verse 3, it says, blessed are those who read, who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are in it. So if it's for something called the 21st century, then out to luck all the people who have lived so far between the day that John got this revelation and today because no one's been able to keep it. Okay? If it's something that you can hear, you can read, you can hear, and you can keep, 
Then it's got to do with your character. It's got to do with your life. It doesn't have to do with uh, doom and gloom. You know, there's a difference between prophecy and divination. Prophecy is always redemptive. God says something so that you can appeal to his character and you can receive the blessings that he's promising or you can receive the mercy that brings you to the blessings because of what he declared. So God always is willing to change his mind because he cannot change his character. Religion is never able to change their mind, so they quickly change their character. They say something that might be true, and they pretend it's in a loving way, but when you don't believe what they said, they become very unloving towards you, or you become very unloving toward them if you put on the religious cloak. So religion doesn't change their mind. Therefore, they're willing to change their character. <laughs> but God changes his mind. I can give you countless stories. Uh, Nineveh was going to be judged, but God changed his mind because they appealed to his character that does not change. Uh, you know what? Uh, you can say you were destined to go to hell, but God changed his mind on your behalf <laughs> when you said yes to Jesus. <laughs> well, we can take it a little more closer to home. You. You embrace living in hell. But then Jesus came into your life. You said yes to him. And, and God changed his mind about you having to, to live in that place. In a sense. So now let's get to what I want to talk about. Because in this chapter, verse 4 is where I'm at. Now we're just taking one little piece of a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're going to put this in our lives today. We're going to put this in our lives in June of 2023, right? Because it's true in the place that is, at the time it was revealed, it's true in the place that was, which includes your life up to this time, and it's true in the place that will be, which means your life after this moment today. So he says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now the seven churches which are in Asia simply represent the whole church that is, that was, and will be. It was literally seven churches in Asia, but prophetically they represent everyone's church. Because really, huh, their church is for everyone. <laughs> and I've been told this is everyone's church. <laughs> so it says, Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and is to come. Grace and peace. Hmm. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. The seven spirits are Holy Spirit in. Holy Spirit's ability to perfect you. The seven spirits are a different desire, a Lord, a different way of moving forward, wisdom, a different way of being a testimony, understanding, a different way of bringing life to your world, counsel, a different way of being a testimony of what you're clothed in, might, a different way of knowledge as an intimacy, knowing, and a different way of living as in the fear of the Lord and awe of God. Holy Spirit wants us to be a different kind of people. He wants us to be people where Jesus is the center of our life. Remember, as a young man, it got quite complicated in church because I was always told I was supposed to put God first. So then you create a list, God who gets second now? I guess the church gets second since they told me to put God first. So now I got God and the church second. Mm. I guess family's probably good. We'll put family third. And what do we put fourth? Uh, well, I got I got to have a job. So let's put job. Job that's pretty important. I, I need to, to eat, feed my family. Uh, then uh, I don't know, can I throw fun in there? It's down the line, but it has to be down the line quite a ways because God's first after all. Now, you can't live life like that. You can't. So what you have to do is you have to realize that Jesus is in the middle of everything. He's first in every area of your life. This is Sunday. Hey, he's first in this day, which means all of this day is blessed because he's first in this day. That doesn't mean you did him this morning and now you're here because you did him this morning. You had him earlier. You, you had a relationship with him. No, he's first in everything. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's first in everything. He's the center of your life. He's the center of your fun. He's the center of your work. That's why when you work, you should be the best employee. 
you should do good work. <laughs> you should be a hard worker. You should be the people they say, wow, I'm glad I hired you. <laughs> you should be the people who have a business and people say, man, I want that person to do the job because I can always trust that person. I can always trust what they're doing. See, you know, Jesus is first in your life, then it comes out even in practical ways of your life. It comes out in like, you know, I really like it when that person comes over to my house because my house just feels better when they come. Yeah. <laughs> you know, instead of, I just wish they'd just leave quickly when they come because it's just like really annoying when they're here. You know, I can't wait till the conversation's over. You know, on so and so, she she's nice. Oh man, I'm glad when she leaves. <laughs> no, we should be the kind of people that bring life to our world. All right. So grace and peace. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And these seven spirits. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. Is he the ruler over the kings of the earth or is he not? From the place that is, that was, and will be, when we get a revelation of Jesus Christ, we realize he's the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now, I'm a king. I'm a king. You're a king. Male or female, you're a king. Which means you're going to have to deal in stuff. You have to pay your bills. <laughs> and you're going to have to decide to have a good attitude. You're a priest and you're a king. Priest is how you relate to God. King is how you relate to your world. Okay? King is how you relate to your world. Now, the deal is you need to realize that Jesus is the king of kings. Right. Not going to be someday. I'll do my thing now. Someday Jesus will be king of kings and then I'll bow. No, he's king of kings. Some kings don't realize that yet. And so they make a lot of mistakes because they don't realize that he is the king of kings. <laughs> Some lords don't realize who he is. You know, they lord over stuff and they are takers instead of givers. But when they realize he's the lord of lords, their lording changes. Instead of taking, they begin to be vine dressers. They begin to be... They begin to be artists. They begin to be craftsmen. They begin to bring life to their world as lords. They begin to be servants when they realize he's the Lord of lords. When kings realize he's the king of kings, they change how they rule in their kingdom. See, if my life fails, it's not sovereign God's fault. It's sovereign Ted's fault. <laughs> if, if, if I don't find the testimony of peace and grace, then I'm not going to be a giver. I'm going to be a taker. I work in parts of the world that are pretty messed up naturally. There's a place I, you know, I'm involved a lot in is Luanda Andola. I have I have 13 churches there now in Luanda. Luanda has eight and a half million people, and nobody picks anything. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. That's a strong word. It seems like not very many people pick stuff up. <laughs> it sure appears to be that a lot of people throw stuff on the ground. Right? And as near as I can tell, I don't think there's any sewage treatment plant, which means there's eight and a half million poops per day that either go in the street or into the ocean. And if you look it up on Wikipedia or someplace else, you'll find that it says Luanda is one of the most expensive cities to visit in the world, largely due to the resources such as oil and minerals that are there. Okay? It really should say this. Luanda is one of the most expensive places in the world, yet the most impoverished because of all the thinking that is taking and not giving by the corrupt systems of the world. Because it really has nothing to do with the resources that are there. <laughs> it has to do with the mentality that's there. So I tell my people, my yeah. spiritual sons yeah. and daughters there, if you're waiting for the government to fix it, they're not, because they're takers. They're not, they're not givers. Don't condemn them yeah. for that. They just don't know any better. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Are you going to be a giver or are you going to be a taker? Are you going to be a person who is administrated by grace or are you going to be a person that's administrated by that which empowers self. Okay? So, 
Ryan talked about grace. Grace, somebody gives you something. Well, God doesn't just want to give you stuff. He wants you to become a giver. He wants to let grace work in your life so that you can be gracious, so that you can be a giver. He comes into your life. Grace is actually the manifest presence of Holy Spirit in your life that empowers you to be transformed and become like your father. Your father doesn't need anything. Religion thinks God needs stuff, so let's kill something quick before he kills them. Let's crucify. Hey, the way we crucified the flesh at the cross wasn't enough. Let's get a new one in here. Come on. I, and, and who's the worst? Let's bring them up. <laughs> Come on. Who's, who's messing with the Who's Jonah? Let's throw him overboard. Let's get him out of here quick before we all sink. Somebody. Well, where's Aiken? Where's Aiken among us? Who, who's, who's Aiken? Making it all ache. We're all Aiken because of Aiken. Where's Aiken? <laughs> let's let's get aching. Let's stone him to death. No, no. God wants us to understand that there's a different administration than was possible in the old covenant. Why? Because there's a revelation of Jesus Christ. What was hidden is no longer hidden. What was not possible is now possible. So he says to him, to Jesus, who loved us. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. Not someday in the future. He's made you a king. He's made you a priest. It's not, well, some of you are kings and some of you are priests. The smart people, they're the priests. That's the clergy. <laughs> the dumb people, they're the kings. They go get the money to support the priests. <laughs> No, <laughs> every one of us is a priest. We live connected to heaven. And what does a priest do? A priest brings the life of heaven into the earth. A priest offers up spiritual sacrifices, a connection that says, well, look at here's the gate of heaven. Woo, this is the gate of heaven. This is the entrance to the earth. Hey, woo, here we are. We worship you, God. This is the place you can come. Welcome, you're welcome here. Whoa, you're welcome here. We present our bodies a living sacrifice. Hey, hello, here we are, the nations. We welcome you. Oh, we love you, God. We welcome your goodness. We welcome your glory. Thank you. We welcome you. And then he comes into our life and we get transformed to be able to reign. And what do we do? We subdue, which means we destroy death with life. And we exercise dominion, which means we crumble lies with truth. You know the biggest lie? The biggest lie is when the devil tries to tell you that you're not enough. And tries to get you to trade who you really are for a false identity. But really good news, Holy Spirit is working right now on planet Earth. And he's moving as breath. To restore the identity of every one of his sons and daughters. See, when we find out who each of us are, then together we can be who we all are as his house. So he's made us to be kings and priests. He's washed us. Was the blood of Jesus enough to wash us? Was the blood of Jesus enough to remove the death sentence? Was the blood of Jesus enough to make it so death can never enter our house? Even if we physically die, we cannot die? <laughs> Was that lamb spotless enough? Was that blood sufficient enough for even the death angel himself to pass through our city and not be able to enter our door? Yes, the blood of Jesus is more than enough to give us the life of the Spirit. See, scripture does not say the life is in the blood. No. Scripture says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Jesus poured out all of the life of the flesh so that you could have the life of the spirit. The body of self lives according to the life of the flesh. My desires, my will, my way, my opinion, my world, my needs. 
But the body of Christ doesn't live by the desire of the flesh. It lives by the desire of the spirit. Seven places Jesus shed blood to give you seven graces of the Holy Spirit. He gave you back your will, your desire, when he bled sweat drops of blood. He gave you back your heart's faith when he was beaten and bled internally. He gave you back an outward testimony of life when he was totally submerged in human blood. He gave you back the ability to be a giver and not a taker when they put thorns on his head and he destroyed control by life-giving liberty. He stretched out his holy hands and they drove nails and he gave you back the ability to be alive according to his resurrection life and lift up holy hands and praise him. To never again declare that you are dead, but to say, as David said, praise God, I'm alive. The dead don't praise you, but I do. He bled from his feet when he made a judgment of love. When he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he empowered us by a knowledge that is intimacy. And then he gave up his spirit. He didn't die of crucifixion. He died. We didn't kill him. He willingly died. Love died. Because that's what love does. Love died. But love couldn't be separated from love. So when love descended down to the grave, love rose love from the dead. Because nothing can separate love from love. Nothing can separate a son from the father. And nothing can separate the father from the son. Because it's all about love. And so when Jesus went to sleep, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And they pierced his side, like first Adam went to sleep. And then the best of Adam came out of him, called a rib. And she was the co-reigning partner, the wife of the husband. And when Jesus died, when Jesus went to sleep, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He died, and they pierced his side, and blood and water went down to the dirt which included the dirt of all the earth. It went right down here in the Skagit Valley, spiritually, to call the sons and daughters from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, even bluegrass. <laughs> so, that, so that every tongue could confess that Jesus is Lord as the wife, as the bride of Christ, his intimate one he loves, the co-reigning partner that comes alongside of him. The Proverbs 31 woman who deals in the real estate of the earth because she knows her husband sits in the gate. Guys, if you're single and you're looking for the Proverbs 31 woman, be the Proverbs 31 woman first. Be a good wife to Jesus and he'll give you a good wife in life. <laughs> so, he goes, and he's made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a wonderful, wonderful testimony. And then he says, behold. I love the, you know, the Hanson translation of that one. It's like, behold. Hello. Hi. Hey. Woo. Check it out. That's the word behold in the Hanson translation. That's a good translation. It says, behold, he's coming with clouds. He's coming with clouds. Now, he was sent and signified. What does clouds mean? He's coming with clouds. He ascended in the cloud. He's coming with clouds. Every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. You know, I mourned because of him. What, what does that mean? I repented. I repented. I mourned. I realized he died for me. He died for me. And when I realized he died for me, you know what happened? I got born again. My, I, I saw him it coming in clouds. We could say, well, I'm looking for the event when he comes in clouds. You know, 10 days after he went up in the clouds, the cloud came on the body of Christ. That word coming is the word urkome. Let me read to you exactly what that word means so that you understand. This urkome is the middle voice of a primary verb. It's used only in the present and imperfect tenses. 
meaning it's something that happens and continues to happen. It's not a future thing that hasn't happened yet. He comes in clouds. Okay, so when he came into your life, he came in clouds. It was a mystery. He came in clouds. His manifest presence came into your life. There are many comings of Jesus into your life. Well, there's the ultimate. Some people call it the second coming. <laughs> I've crossed all those headlines out of my Bible. I've only found one place where it even mentions second. I believe it's true. I believe there's a culmination. Okay? But I believe that when we get distracted from today by a hope that's far away, we miss being kings and priests today. That's a good word. Okay? So yeah, anything that's true in the smallest measure is true in the greatest measure. Heaven is a reality of where we're going, but heaven is also a reality of something he wants to get into you today. It's not as good as it will be. (laughs) It's not as good as it will be. It's not as great as it's going to be, but it's it's (laughs) greatish. And it becomes greater. And it becomes greater and greater and greater. Seems to me, Paul said something about when you turn to him, what you could not see is destroyed. The veil is rent. When you turn to him, there's no longer a veil. And what you behold in a mirror, something that's happened inside of you. From glory to glory, he changes you. And you discover where the spirit of the Lord is, where the spirit of a new desire is, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's life giving. Okay? So, this is wonderful. So he says, He started out by saying grace to you and peace from him. Now, bringing us into this place of being kings and priests, of being people who understand the coming of his clouds, the manifest presence of God in our life. Today is Sunday. Tomorrow is Monday. I think you could use a little of the manifest presence of God in your life tomorrow. Don't you think? If you don't believe me, then you just go to scripture and highlight every place it talks about clouds and you'll find this is what you'll come up with you'll find out for those who love god it's always really good news for those who don't love god it's it's bad news in a sense okay now let's translate that as good news good news it's like this whatever in me loves god clouds the description the metaphor he's coming in clouds is really good news for the part of me that loves god Whatever in me does not love God, it's really good news because the coming of his clouds destroys what does not love God in me. That's really good news. <laughs> so it's a win-win deal. Whatever in me, it says concerning the kingdom that there are certain things that cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And we like to point the finger, you know, that, well, that's talking about all those people, you know, the cowards, the adulterers, the, the homosexuals, all that, you know, they can enter the kingdom of God. No, it's simply saying anything in me that's that, anything in me that's looking to love in the wrong place, anything in me that's cowardly, anything in me that's fearful, anything in me cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, wonderful. Thank you that that can't enter, which yeah. means when you come in your presence, that stuff gets removed. Yeah. Yeah. It, it isn't anybody better than some other buddy. It's everybody saying that stuff that doesn't give you true identity gets destroyed when he comes to give you your true identity. I had a prophet when I was a pastor years ago. I pastored, you know, for 20 years. And and I had somebody come to my church and say, oh, the spirit of God says he's judging this church. And started giving this prophecy. And I said, yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? You're absolutely right. Isn't it wonderful? He's, he's bringing fire to this church. It's so wonderful. Everything that can burn is burning. So that what remains is that which cannot burn. Isn't it fantastic? I just love God's judgment. He's so wonderful. <laughs> you know, the only reason his fire comes is so that what can be consumed in you gets consumed. So that you remain like a burning bush. You, you remain as a person who's on fire for God. Full of the life of God. He didn't send his son into our world to condemn this world. We already had that down. (laughs) We were already condemned. God has never killed a sinner. Never. 
Sin has always killed a sinner. Sin will kill you every time. That's why he hates it. Yeah. You get unplugged, you die. Makes sense. Makes sense. You know, you plug a vacuum cleaner in the wall. It's one thing that sucks and it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you go you go far enough and it becomes unplugged, it doesn't suck anymore. Now, now there's no God in heaven that destroys a vacuum cleaner for going beyond the line. Well, you that's quit right. sucking. I'm you're done. Yeah, that's right. Oh, no, it's if you go too far on the line and you go outside of the boundary where it works, you get unplugged. Yeah, that's right. And you don't suck anymore. Yeah. Good luck, right? <laughs> so, there's no God in heaven that kills unplugged vacuum cleaners. There's no God in heaven that kills unplugged people. Unplugged people die. So Jesus came to get every human being plugged back in. He came to reconcile us, reconnect us to our Father. He paid the price of our reconciliation while we were still stupid and disconnected. It's a gift of God. Is because our Father loves us. Yeah. Love, love, love. That's what it is. And, and when he came to bring his judgment of life to us, he didn't judge us according to law. He judged us according to love. That's why he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If he judged us according to law, he would have had to say, oh, this is too bad. They do know what they're doing. And they're still doing it. <laughs> and there wouldn't have been any forgiveness. So you cannot break a law. You can only violate a law, and then it breaks you. Yeah. Unless you find a higher law. Yeah. You can supersede a law with a higher law. That's how Jesus turns water to wine. That's how Jesus walks on water. He knows higher laws than the laws that are bound to the earth. Forgiveness. Is a higher law than sin. Because it's based on the law of the love of a father. When Jesus died, he was born under the law, but he didn't die under the law. He died as a full manifestation of love. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. But he did it by living his life as a man of a higher law, love. He never became a taker because he was full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. So peace is access to God's house. Peace, God's mercy gives you peace with God. Peace is access to God's house. Peace, shalom in the Hebrew. It, Healing, prosperity, abundance. You think God's refrigerator has some stuff in it? Is his cupboard full? Does he have a lot of furniture in his house? Do we only stand up in his house? Does he include some beds, some chairs, some couches, hammocks? I don't know. I think he's got some stuff. Okay. So he's got plenty of stuff. So peace gives you access to his house and all the stuff. Okay, healing is stuff. Hey, Jeff has access to his house. We know Jeff gave his testimony. Jesus walked in the room and said, oh, hey, my cupboards are yours, buddy. <laughs> but then he also said something to Jeff because, you see, peace is access to God's house. Grace is God's access to your house. See, peace is when you know you have an arm that reaches into his room and everything you need is there for today. There's no gap between you and God. There's no wrath separating you. You've got peace with God. You've been brought near, Paul says. Peace is you've been brought near to God. There's no gap. There's no separation. Grace is where he says, okay, I've given you access to my house. Would you receive me into your house? Oh, yeah. And grace walks in. And when grace walks into your room, when grace walks into the life of a prodigal, he's not just a prodigal that's blessed. He's a prodigal with a brand new robe. 
He's a prodigal with a brand new set of shoes. He's a prodigal with another ring. He's a prodigal eating the best food. He's got the manifest presence of God in his life that proves the love of God never stopped. And he never was out separated. See, sin never created a problem for God seeing us for who we are. He created a problem for us seeing God for who he is. When we do not see God for who he is, we cannot see who we are. That's true. That's true. Really good. So we have access to this place. Give, faith gives us access to God's peace and God's grace in our lives. So faith and peace are testimonies of a relationship with God. Faith and peace are testimonies of a relationship. And everything in life is a matter of relationship. Everything in life is a matter of relationship. If you don't believe everything in life is a matter of relationship, uh, do you have a mom or did you have a mom? Were you born? It was, that was a matter of relationship, by the way. Good or bad, it was a matter of relationship somehow. Yeah. The enemy targets relationship more than anything. He would rather that you be a church of ministry and works than a family. The enemy would rather that. Because if you're a church of ministry and works, then when you get tired, you can go somewhere else. But when you discover its relationship, then you are willing to be givers of life for the sake of one another. Now, we can say in our Father's house there are many rooms, so we're not all from everyone's church here. We're also from some other congregations, but the body of Christ is one. But wherever we find ourselves, somewhere in the house, there's a room we should be in. <laughs> we should be part of the mansionist dwelling of God where his presence is constantly coming. He's coming in clouds. Our eyes see him. When we see him, we become like him. We become changed, right? So we should be those who experience him. So our salvation is a matter of relationship. Our being the family of God is a matter of relationship. We daily are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. We're invited to boldly come to the throne of grace where we receive mercy. Now, mercy is a judgment that frees us from law. Law always requires a judgment. But there's one judgment that's triumphed over all judgment. Hebrews 6, in the very foundation of the church, when it describes the sixth foundation in the church, which is eternal judgment, is misinterpreted very often. It's not in the plural sense. It's singular, eternal judgment. There's only one judgment that is an eternal judgment. You want to hear it? Yes. Mercy, <laughs> eternal life for all who believe. That's the judgment God made. Yeah, that's good for me. That's good for me, but my goodness. Have you seen the no way? <laughs> I mean, I'm good with that judgment. I, I deserve that. Eternal life, mercy for me. I mean, I wasn't I was just stupid. I didn't intentionally do anything. I was just dumb. So I deserve that. But <laughs> they're, they're pretty smart. Still doing it. Go get them, God. Let me pray the prayer. <laughs> because it's I'm, I'm looking for the eternal judgment I'm looking for that I'm looking for the one that there's a certain line Peter says how many times do I forgive somebody in a day <laughs> let's take a guess seven times <laughs> and Jesus said no Peter seven times seventy now I can just see Peter calculate. Let's see. 490 times. 490 times. Man, I hope they get to 491 today. Can you imagine if they only get to 489 and then I have to start over again tomorrow? Oh, 
Because it's in a day. So, you know, now, it's stronger than that, but that's pretty strong. Can you imagine having to forgive somebody 490 times in one day? Now, I realize in some marriages it's true. So, <laughs> But what he's really saying is 70 in the scripture is a symbol of all tongues, tribes, peoples, and nations. If you look at the three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, who came out of the boat, Three sons, when they came out of the boat, they populated the earth. Take a, a you know, a, a, a yellow highlighter, something you can see through. Go to your paper Bible and highlight all of the cities that came from those three sons and count them. You know how many you'll come up with? Seventy. Now, numbers are symbolisms of the essence of the symbol. Ten is a number of a judgment of love. Well, let's make it simple. Love God, love your neighbor. Ten commandments are summed up in those two statements. So a judgment, God's judgment is always a judgment of love. God's judgment is always love. Seven is a number of perfections as Holy Spirit perfects us. So seven times ten is 70. You know, God's judgment of love is for every tribe, tongue, people, and nation on planet Earth. It's so significant that he hid that number in the tapestry of his people, Israel. And they didn't even know what was hidden in the tapestry. They were put 70 years in captivity to free all people who are in captivity. They had 70 weeks of restoration for the restoration of all people. Lots of things in 70. <laughs> so forgiving people seven times 70 means you forgive everyone with a judgment of love yeah. Every time, all the time. Ouch. I forgive everyone all the time <laughs> for everyone's church. That's what we say. Okay. So I boldly come to the throne of grace daily so that I can receive mercy. That's the judgment that frees me from law. And then I can find grace. You receive mercy. It's a gift that's already been done. You find grace. It's a gift that's a continual happening. Many people, they live their lives at the foot of the cross instead of boldly coming to where Jesus put the blood. See, Jesus entered the Holy of Holies and he brought the blood with him and he sprinkled the mercy seat. Saying that the cross was enough to get you into heaven. And the cross was enough to get heaven into you. Mercy gets you into heaven. Grace gets heaven into you. <laughs> Peace gets you into heaven. Grace gets heaven into you. I think there's a lot of people going to heaven. But there's a whole lot of people not getting heaven into their life. Because there's a whole lot of kings and priests who haven't realized that he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of the Lords. We haven't realized that we've been washed in the blood of Jesus. And we are loved by his father. We are children of God. And we live in his presence. Revelation 1 says in that same chapter. That as John had this revelation, as what was formerly covered is now revealed, there's a voice behind him. There's a voice behind you. And the voice is the one who stands in the midst of your life. Why is his voice behind you? Because it's a voice of faith. It's a voice that's not based on natural sight. Is a voice that empowers faith. How does faith come? Hearing, hearing God in your heart. And what happens when you hear God? Every revelation from God is an invitation to have an encounter with God so that you will be transformed by God and become something of that revelation. 
A revelation of love is an invitation to have an encounter with love so that you will be transformed by love and become something of that love to your world. A revelation of victory is an invitation to have an encounter with victory so that you will be transformed by victory and you will bring the substance of victory to your world. A revelation of healing is an invitation to have an encounter with healing. Healing is a person who heals so that you'll be transformed not just physically but you'll be transformed by that healing and you'll bring something of the substance of that revelation to your world none of us are called to be runners we are all called to be messengers I woke up this morning I did run my six miles 68th year, I run six miles almost every day because I got a lot of friends who can't anymore. So I figured as long as I can, I'm yeah, going to intercede really. on behalf of my friends who would love to and can't anymore. So I run, but I also run because I realize I'm a message and I want to make sure that I don't go out prematurely. <laughs> we got a prophetic destiny to fulfill, right, Jeff? God speaks and life happens. That prophetic destiny is you make a great you, terrible somebody else, but when you find out who you are, who you are crumbles every lie. Not just for you, but for the sake of your world. Because your life is empowered by grace. <laughs> it's empowered by grace. So it's really good news. couple statements and we're going to be done. So everything in life is a matter of relationship. Matter of fact, you want to hear some things of life? I'll get it. I'm going to give you some words for life. Love. Joy. Peace. Long suffering. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such there is no law. None of those things are a work of the flesh. None of those things are a discipline of the flesh. They're a fruit of the Spirit as a testimony of a work of grace. So who does the work? Holy Spirit does the work. You don't do the work to get those things. You invite Holy Spirit to work in your life so that those things manifest. Which means you're going to be placed in situations that want to flip your switch and get you in the flesh. So that you can boldly come to the throne of grace, receive mercy for the switch that just got flipped, and find grace that helps you in your time of need. And your time of need is not merely about it's time to pay the rent. Your time of need is it's time for you to manifest the truth of who you really are. You are a king. You are a priest. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. You manifest love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> God's mercy gives us peace. God's grace empowers our lives to be changed. And in Christ, we have been given an administration of grace. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. In him, in Jesus, we have received redemption through his blood. He's washed us. We've received the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. I like the Hanson translation of translation of the word prudence, common sense. In all wisdom and common sense to God, it's not common sense to you. 
It's not common sense to forgive the unforgivable. We sang a simple song, but a profound song. Jeff wrote, hallelujah. Right? And the base root of that is halal, which is a type of praise that says you are legally insane by natural standards. Wow. It's a universal word. It means the same thing in every language, and almost no language knows what it means. It means you have been declared legally insane by natural standards. You are free, but you should not be. You see, but you should be blind. You're forgiven, but you should not be. You are you are drunk, man. You are legally insane by natural standards. And it's very obvious because, look, it's weighty. It's heavy. You can see it. It's like King David with all his might. <laughs> it's the highest word. And you know what? It, when Jesus took the cup after supper, which was the fourth cup of the Passover meal, you know what that cup is? That cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. When in the Passover meal, the blood of the old covenant was the cup before they ate the blood, which is the life of the flesh. Jesus made the cup of the new covenant the cup of Holy Spirit, which is the blood of the body of Christ. The blood of the body of self is the blood that was shed at the cross. So that you could boldly come to the throne of grace and receive the blood of the new covenant, which is the sevenfold Holy Spirit that gives life, oxygen, food, nutrition, Amen. warfare. It brings life to the body of Christ. So, in verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation or administration of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth in him. So he's gathering everything together in him. It's a place that is, that was, that will be. The process is on. His presence is constantly coming into our lives. And so we are empowered by grace. Mercy ended law and invited us into the place of receiving grace. Grace is his presence that transforms our lives. I'm going to pray. Uh, Jesus, you're the one that stands in our life. We thank you. And we say yes to you again. Thank you. We invite you into every room of our lives. We thank you for the mercy that you gave us when you became the price for our redemption. You willingly shed every drop of the life of self to give to us the life of the Spirit, to free all mankind from being bound to living for ourselves. And you have made us kings and priests to our God. You've made us connected to heaven. And you've made us influencers in this earth with heavenly reality. And we thank you that your grace is here. You're coming in clouds, a constant coming in clouds. Even this week, would you open the eyes of our heart to see you this week? So that we manifest all that is not bound to law, that we manifest the love, the joy, the peace, the goodness, the kindness, the, the self-control, the long-suffering, the gentleness. We manifest the character of you, our Father God, and we bring life to our world in Jesus' name. Amen.